Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today, my God, one of the uh, one of the greats, Lenny James. A man who lets his work do the talking. Um, as he says in this very candid interview, celebrity has never been for him. It's all about the work. And you look at his body of work and um, it goes toe-to-toe with, with anyone's. The Walking Dead, Line of Duty, big breakthrough in the year 2000 with Snatch. In America, had big TV success with Jericho, one of the finest TV shows of, the, this, of this golden age of television, Save Me. Returns to Sky, Save Me, what a show. One of those where the first series... When each episode finished, you could not get the next episode on quick enough. Uh, and that was a testament to Lenny's, not just acting, but uh, but writing. It had his DNA through it like a stick of Blackpool Rock. What a show. And it's back. Save me too. Uh, you know, we, we talk about this in the chat. Obviously, we're not making, of course, we're not making light of what's happening right now. But given how much uh, we are craving entertainment and distraction then save me to obviously comes and i'm not being i'm not being glib when i say this save me to comes at a good time uh, i hear more and more uh, friends literally staring out the window at the moment i know it's tough out there this this chat as well this on a personal level probably a bit oversharing here this this goes high up on my all-time list been a huge admirer of this guy uh, again, I'm doing my classic, I don't want to spoil it, and then I go and spoil it, but um, he, you know, he talked candidly about his childhood, um, what he went through. Born in Nottingham, moved to South London as a very young man, uh, spent time in childcare, spent time with a foster family, got into acting as a teenager, wrote a play as a teenager, and it was that wonderful confidence of youth. And he talks about, that again, very candidly, there is that mindset when you're very young. Yeah, why can't I do that? And so he, a friend said to him, you, you could write a play. Yeah, I will do that. I, I, I will say no more because what follows is, is, is extraordinary. What a career, what a life, what a man. Uh, the, the wonderful, my God, <laughs> practically saluting uh, the... the the iconic Lenny James. I, I'm, I'm, I feel honoured that I can tell you that uh, we are talking about one of my favourite TV shows of all time. Um, oh wow! Thank yeah, you. I mean, what a what a piece of work. Um, you must feel it must be so gratifying that you might have delivered certainly certainly one of your finest pieces of work ever with this. I mean, this this. You know that this is a special one, don't you? Um, I, I think if I didn't, after re the reaction to the first series, um, I, I think the people who watched it and people who became fans of it made it made it very clear in um, in their response to it um, that it might have been all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm. Um... 
I've been friends with Kerry Godleyman for a, a good number of years, and she said when she was filming the first series, the way that she talked about your talent, um, I, I'm not sure that I've ever seen a quite so enthused. Um, I mean, that must be a nice feeling. As you, she'll hate you telling me that. She'll she, like, I mean, Why yeah, did she must, you tell him that? She must never find out that I told you that. Um, yeah, I won't. I won't tell her that you said that. But, um, I mean, but, that's, that's uh, I lovely. What, what, that's lovely uh, thing. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. I mean, finish. No, I was, was going to say. I think my point is, you're, you're one of the few people who is adored by uh, cast, crew, and audience. I mean, that's that's a, that's a that's rarefied air, isn't it, Lenny? Um, I guess I'm not really aware of it in in that sense. I just try and do the best job I I I can. And listen, I on one level I'm very aware of what I was trying to do with Save Me. I mean, I wrote it. I ended up playing one of the main characters in it. I exec produce it. I um, created it. And I'm very aware of my role in all of that. And and if you're given that opportunity, and I was given a fantastic opportunity by Sky to do all of those things, um, it's kind of beholden on me to set the tone of how I'd like it to be done. And um, if I'm in that situation, if you get to a situation where if I get the chance to write a television show, this is the television show I want it to be. If I get yeah. a chance to be one of the lead actors in it, then this is the tone I want to set. And this is how I want to get the job done. And I was lucky, very lucky first time around to find someone as like-minded as Nick Murphy, who was our um, director and leader through the first series. And, um, and I got equally as lucky with Jim Loach and, Koki Gidridge in the second one to kind of lead us through. But I don't think in all of it, I got the place where I got most lucky was with the cast and the yeah. crew. And they are just, they are just, um, just utterly fantastic. And it's a very weird one really, because there were certain people who were, um, who were cast on it, who I knew very well. So Stevie G and Jason <laughs> Fleming and Sue Lynch, I had, I had kind of known before and I didn't really know Kerry and um, until we were, you know, we had cast her and we were working together and she is, I mean, it's now impossible for, you know, for me to think of anybody else playing the part that I wrote other than the people who ended up playing them. But in particularly in Kerry's um, uh, situation, I, I just can't think of anybody who's better suited to teens than her. She really kind of, kind of made it her own and um and her along with her commitment to this project and her you know um how she threw herself into it and and kind of fashioned um that character is um i'm i'm immensely proud that i kind of had some part in her creating that character um it, it must be again i'm using the word gratifying again but it must be gratifying Given that you've the way you've you've shone a light uh, on the themes that you're covering, you know you're you're, you're opening the eyes of, of the the viewing public. I mean, you know that must that must be a special feeling, Lenny. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was it, it was in large part my mission was to write a thriller, and but on the other side of it, I wanted to write it in this place. I wanted to set it in this place. I wanted to tell the story of these people and, um, and how lives are lived and built and survived in this neck of the woods and that it's more than your social situation. It is about the people and, um, and community and what this community looks like and despite the economics of it despite the deprivation of it despite all that is lacking there is so much life there there's so much laughter there's so much friendship there's so much love there's so much 
um, people looking out and looking after each other. And I, and I wanted to write that. I wanted to write that community. And uh, I mean, I've, I've spoken with other writers and, and a big thing is building a world that the audience can believe in. And the world you've built, I, I, I feel that I could, I could walk into that pub and order a drink. I feel like I know those characters. But, I mean, that's not an easy thing to pull off, though, is it? Um, no, it's, no, it's not easy. But it's also, you know, in a weird way, it's, um, it's just as hard to get it wrong as it is to get it right. I mean, you pretty much have to go through all the same steps. You just, it's just about not just your vision. It's, it's um, expressing it in a way that other people can buy into that vision and understand what it is if they, if they don't come from it. Not everybody who, like there's, um, uh, there are in the first season, and kind of in the second season, there are like three or four characters who basically live in the same flat. Yes. They basically have the same layout yeah. um, in the towers. There's Teenses and Zetas and the students. And, and I think there's one other where they basically are living in the same floor plan. Um, but all of those places, when you go into them, are much more than even the, the camera finds or the camera can say. Is It becomes... A representative comes becomes representative of the character, and that wasn't me. Um, you know, I I might have mentioned in the script that Teens's place, uh, Kerry Godleman's character's place, is you know painted in all the different shades of pink. But the actual um, uh, bringing that to life was down to our set designer. That wasn't down to me. So creating something that. Um, that people can add to and that people can bring their expertise to it um, was as important as anything else, really. No, you know, I've read a lot about you. Um, I, I, you have no idea how much I look, I look up to you. And I say that, like, trying not to cry as I say that. I mean, so, I mean I'm from, I've not, I didn't go through what you went through. I am from a, a working class family. Uh, and so I think what I want to say is, you're such a hero, and please take that. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that compliments always sit well with you, and I say that as a compliment itself. <laughs> but you're, you're such a hero, uh, given what you've achieved and, and what you've gone through. Could, could, I, could I just, could you just perhaps say a bit? Because I know for, if you're from a certain background, it's easy to think, well, it, it can never happen for me. Whereas what you've achieved, given what you went through, and I said the same thing to Chris Akabusi, who had a, a, a similar childhood himself. Um, I mean, that, that must feel nice in terms of giving hope to people who think that there, there might not be hope. Yeah, I mean, I, um, it's, uh, it's a, a tricky thing to, to um, kind of, it's a tricky thing to uh, define yourself as, um, as as being in some way a, a a role model or a a hero, it's not really, as you say, it's not something I feel <laughs> easy easy I can with, feel you're or squirming. with. Yeah, or comfortable <laughs> with. But um, I am, uh, you know, particularly as I get older, and um, I, I I I I do have to face the realities of of uh of the fact that um i have i have achieved a degree of success i suppose yeah and i am i was i was saying this to someone the other day i am living a life um kind of beyond my wildest dreams. And that's not in the sense of me kind of going, I am hugely successful and amazingly rich and all of that. It's just that where I'm from, um, at, at the time where I, I, uh, where I grew up, um, kids who grew up with me didn't dream of doing what I'm doing. They weren't allowed. It wasn't yeah. in their, it wasn't in their wheel arch. It wasn't a possibility. You'd be, you know, laughed out of the pub and off the football field and out of boys brigade um, for even kind of 
thinking about it. It wasn't, but also the reality is I couldn't have dreamed this um, because I, I didn't know how, because that wasn't what boys from where I'm from did. So I'm, a, I'm kind of aware of that. And if that acts as a, if the, if the things that I've done act as a blueprint for other people to do the same, then, um, then I'm nothing but um, happy for that. And, and one of the things that has always been important for me is, to, is, is um, showing people what is possible and, you know, and, 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 and what can be achieved and helping where I can help and, um, and shouldering the, some of the, uh, the blame and reminding people that although I want them to stand on my shoulders, reminding them of the shoulders that I myself stand on and that none of us get, get here on our own. Mate, I'm glad you're not on video call because I'm practically wiping tears out of my eyes over here. <laughs> um, so, so, was this was this not part of a? This wasn't part of a plan I'm taking. It's when, you know when you were a kid, you were you were you visualising this sort of thing, or, or from what you're saying, I'm, I'm guessing you weren't. This this wasn't part of. Oh, plan. I didn't. I, yeah, no. I mean, literally, it wasn't that. It wasn't that I secretly wanted to be an actor, but I didn't know how. I just wasn't. It was I genuinely just wasn't part of my understanding of the world you know Jesus. i'm um i'm a you know i'm a first generation kind of kid youngest born child of uh, trinidadian immigrants yeah they were they they're the my mum and dad were part of the windrush generation they came here with the dream of of uh, um a better life and that their kids for them education was everything go to school do well stay out of trouble, get a good job, do better than us. That was, that was the, um, the dream. That was what it was all about. I didn't, um, and I was a, you know, I was a bit of a scallywag, but, um, but I, um, was good at school. I kind of found it relatively easy. I was, um, good at sports. So, um, I had, uh, place in an all boys school because I made enough teams and you know and I kind of got my way through it I you know I enjoyed going to school I enjoyed the camaraderie I enjoyed the life I enjoyed the dangers I enjoyed it I enjoyed it um, and I had planned to I don't know do something that was sports related yeah. and even that even going to university that's what the you know, and ambition was, that's what dreams were. That That's what it was all about getting, maybe getting to university and definitely getting a decent job. And, um, like, you know, quite a lot of the guys I grew up with have gone on to do. And, um, and that was the plan really doing what I'm doing every now and then I kind of, uh, have to pinch myself and go, you're doing, a, a, you know, you're doing all right, really. I mean, and also, cause I, you know, I know that you got into you got into acting at an early age, but but also, you know, I've read that you, you were writing at an early age. I mean, you, you got into writing as a teenager, weren't you? Yeah, I wrote my first play when I was 17. I and, mean, Lenny, I mean, bloody hell. And it was, you know, most of, I was saying this again to someone the other day, most of what I've done, I've done out of ignorance. I've done either out of ignorance. <laughs> Or I have. I'm not. I'm not kidding. I've done it out of ignorance, or I've done it out of spite. I was. I. I acted in my first play when I was 16. I started hanging around with a group of uh, kids who wanted to be actors. Who and that's. And it was their dreams that I kind of, you know, um, picked picked apart and figured and tried to find out whether it was something that I fancied as well. And then one of them, um, actually, my mate Ian, who's. Um, turned out to be one of my oldest and dearest friends. Um, it, we were both 17-year-old kids. He was doing the stage management course. Um, I was um, uh, just on the acting course in my first play, and we're sitting around and talking about writing plays. And he, uh, I think it was him. Um, he, had, he said to me, I bet you can't write a play. And I was like, I could write a play. 
And he goes, well, go on then. So I did. And that's what I did. And I wrote a play, wrote it longhand, went to the South London Press, found someone who could type, that she typed it up. I handed, sent it into the National Youth Theatre Playwriting Competition, um, and it won. And for 1983, I was the... Um, a most promising playwright under 21, according to the National Youth Theatre. And then one of the judges who was on the panel that voted for my play um, sent it to Faber and Faber, and they published it in an anthology. So I'd gone from doing my first play at 16, and by the time I, I mean, acting in my first play at 16, writing my first play at 17, to having my play published by the time I was 18. So it was weird. And I got a job from Capital Radio out of it, which was really weird. That was really surreal. I went on Capital Capital Radio as, you know, because I was the only one from London who won anything in this playwriting competition. And I went in and I was doing quite a lot of theatre at that point. And, um, And I went in and I did my little interview. I was there for about two or three minutes. And as I was leaving the building, the producer ran down and stopped me. And said, listen, we got no one who covers fringe theatre for us. Do you fancy covering fringe theatre for us? And I went, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So at at 18, I was the fringe theatre critic for Capital Radio. (laughs) It was ridiculous. I was like, I was like, well, I must be in the right place because all of this shit keeps happening in my favour. So I, you know, decided to keep doing it. Do you, do you think has there been you know do you think there's been some sort of in, invisible hand of fate here? I don't know. I mean, probably. I mean, you know, there've been plenty of times in my career where if there was one, um, I felt like they, the hand was taken away as much as it's been you know um, put forward. But you know, I do. I, I I know where I've been lucky, and I know where I've worked my ass off. And um, and I and 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 if I've got lucky, I've tried to um, work that luck as best as I possibly can by doing my job to the best of my ability. I, I don't go in, and I never really have. Is one of the good pieces of advice I was given really early on by um, an actor, Guy Gregory, who's no longer with us, but was an absolute sweetheart and really looked after me when I was a young actor. And he said to me. Your job is just to do the job in front of you. Don't ever think, if I do this, then such and such will happen. I don't go into jobs with any expectation. The only job, the only thing I go in there is, uh, um, it, with is a desire to do the best job that I can do. So the, the, the sports fan is saying you take this one game at a time. Yeah, I do very much. And, and it's, and it's, and I've always had an eye on um, on doing this for as long as I possibly can. I never really, I've never really been interested in celebrity or fame because um, I'm basically quite a um, shy homebody, really. And I um, and I'm aware that with success comes recognition, but it's never been the thing. Genuinely, never been the thing that I have seeked out really it's i don't i'm not interested entirely in people knowing uh kind of too much about me i mean it's it's a, it's a weird thing that most of the people i was at drama school with didn't know that i had lost my mum when i was 11 that i went to live in a children's home from 15 to 19 uh, I mean, I went to live in the children's home until I was 15. And then after I was 15, I um, went to live with my foster family. Most people um, that I went to school with and most people that I was at drama school with in college had no idea that that was um, uh, part of my life because it's just not anything I shared with them, partly for fear of being judged or um, stereotyped. And that's that, you know, and that's a heavy thing for you to again try not to, you know, stifling a, a catching something in my throat there. But that's a that's a heavy thing for you to not share, isn't it, Lenny? You know, looking back now, um, yeah, that, that can't, that yeah. Can't I be mean, the people, keep... the people I cared cared about, and the people that I trusted, you know, um, the, the geezers Richie and and Andy, who were my 
um, roommates when I left my foster family and moved out like kids move out of home. They knew. Um, but they also knew that it was something that I keep close to my close to my um, uh, close to myself because I yeah. think uh, fuck it, I'm going into an environment when I was at drama school, particularly I'm going into an environment that was already alien to me. I went to drama school cause I had no fucking idea who Strindberg was. I had only a passing yeah. knowledge of who Shakespeare was. I didn't know ab- about Ibsen or Brecht or any of that. And when my cousin said to me, why, the, why are you going to drama school? I kind of said, cause I want to know what everybody else knows. I want to know all the things that I don't know. So walking into that environment, um, coming from where I come from and looking like I look, I was already standing out. I was standing out for being working class. I was standing out for being black. And uh, there was already enough going on. I wasn't going to chuck also, oh, by the way, I'm an orphan and I grew up in a children's home. I I mean, they were just, there was was enough um, uh, in my way already. I didn't want to throw more logs on the fire. So I, you know, I kept it to myself. But I was used to, keep, used to keeping it to myself. That's how I got through school, along with the other kids of the children's home. Um, so you know, that's how that's how we did it. I'm not saying it was the best way of doing it, but that's how we did it. And um, so, you know, I, I'm inherently private. I'm inherently. Um, I mean, you know, you say you're kind of, you know, um, the, where you're from. I'm sure the same rules applied. Which was Absolutely. no one, no, no one really knew your business. No one really knew how much you had or how much you didn't have. It was only about what you presented to the outside world. It was only about how you got through it, how you toughed it out, and and that's that's you know the basis of 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 how how we grew up. So it wasn't. I'm not sure it was absolutely healthy, but it was certainly something that I was kind of capable of, and and I am kind of, you know, I did didn't speak about the loss of my mum and growing up in a children's home and being fostered publicly until 2000 when I wrote a film about it and that was the and I did one article um at that particular point I said I'll speak to one journalist and I'll talk to him about it and that'll be it I don't want to go I don't want to talk about it all, all the time um and that's what I did. And then I went back into my hole and, um, you know, and, and that's just how I kind of operate. So it's been, um, being on the, being, when I went, even though I was grown and experienced and had a, um, a life before it and, uh, a life and career before it, and hopefully we'll have one after it. Um, it was one of the things I found most difficult being on The Walking Dead was just how much that thrust you into the realms of celebrity and um, and how much it could invade your private life, how much it suddenly made me recognisable, not just in London and America, but literally everywhere I went in the world. Nowhere, literally nowhere to hide without someone running down the road going, you're Morgan Jones or you're... I mean, the weird thing about it is going from people going, you're that guy from The Walking Dead to people knowing my name and stopping you in the street and going, you're Lenny James or hello, Mr. James or, you know, in... 17 different languages that was for me that was um however much it was a rec- it was a recognition of the work i was doing and the show i was in it was so hard and, and also the thing with the walking dead is when you watch that those first couple of episodes that's an alternative left field show you've got no way of knowing that that's going to become one of the biggest shows on the planet have you no, no idea. It takes you completely by surprise. And it was, I mean, you know, luckily, um, Andy Lincoln, who was yeah. the lead in the show, is is equally protective of his privacy. Yes. So, you know, um, I had a blueprint when I went back into the show kind of permanently of how you, you know, protect some semblance of a private life. 
but um, but you have to work at it. That was the first time I genuinely had to, you know, to work at it. That was a I suddenly you are you are thinking when you walk out the door. How am I going to react if I'm recognized? Going to new places was very difficult, um, particularly going to new places that revolved around your kids, because oh, you God. were suddenly also aware of the effect of of other people getting an association between you and your kids, other kids, and how they were going to react to suddenly realizing that you know your kid is your kid. Um, and what that's going to do to suddenly you're having to navigate all of those things. And, and I remember very clearly um, when my when my wife clocked it and just when you just you just find it very difficult going out. Yeah, I think I had said, can you take the car in to get. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Service or something. And she was like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. And I go, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And she was like, all oh, right, you're having, it's, it, you're just feeling a bit not wanting to be the geezer off the telly today. And that's, I mean, you know, I mean, take a show like Jericho as well. I mean, that, you know, from, from my vantage point, I, I mean, I, 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 may, I may be wrong here. I'd say, Snatch was was probably a big turning point. Then Jericho was a big turning point. I mean, these are. I mean, this is difficult, isn't it? Because you know you're you're so visible with these shows, aren't you? Yeah, Snatch was a was a kind of um, weird one because I, you know, I'd had a, a a decent enough ten twelve year career before yeah. we, before we did Snatch and. I tell you why Snatch was really useful for me because Snatch was like a Tarantino movie, yeah. um, or was like uh, was like a uh, well, was like a Guy Ritchie movie because it was. It's in the sense that it wasn't just popular out in the world; everybody in the industry watched it, um, and and everybody, particularly everybody in America, watched it. So when I went to America, unbeknownst to myself, a lot of the doors that I walked through, I walked through because of snatch um, because they because people were going oh because they had no idea about me they had no idea because mostly i'd done television or you know films that hadn't kind of you know necessarily landed on everybody's radar there were some rooms where they you know they knew stuff from home but mostly if at that particular time if it wasn't in america the americans didn't give a shit and um but snatch had broken through that it had become like you know, the movie to see, it was like, I don't know, it was like, it was like Nora Jones's first album. Everybody had to have it. That is and, spot, that was absolutely spot on. It was, yeah. I mean, some of our young listeners will not, and I don't, I'm not trying to sound like an old man here, but they won't appreciate that that was the absolute hot movie on the planet, wasn't it? It was all about yeah, it was. 
Everybody was talking about it. You know, he had done he had done um, uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, and after Lockstock and had come out, everybody. I mean, the list of people that phoned Guy and said, <laughs> "I want to be in your next movie." The, the the cast list of what Snatch was supposed to be is just ridiculous. De Niro wow. was supposed to be in it. Pacino was supposed to be in it. Schwarzenegger was supposed to be in it. But, I mean, it was just it was just ridiculous. Everybody wanted to do his next movie. Brad Pitt had phoned him up and gone, "I'll do anything you like." It Jesus. was it was it was just ridiculous. And then it came out, and every like I say, everybody in the industry watched it, and it was just unbeknownst to me, it was it was one of the things that got me in the it got me in the door. You know, when when I was you know basically a nobody on the other side of the Atlantic, um, you know, it was why agents said yes to me. And um, and why um, I certainly I got a couple couple of my first auditions. Um, now one of one of the one of the great Lenny James roles is uh, Tony Gates in in Line of Duty. And now the I think about that performance a lot. The the I'm going to use the word genius. The genius of that performance is you are the main character. You're front and center, and we, are, you know, I'm in my forties, so I'm used to the main character. Being the good guy, and, I, and but we get to see this character make this sequence of choices, and obviously Line of Duty is a different show now. But I mean that, I mean that that was a that was a special one as well, wasn't it? That first series of Line of Duty. Yeah, that was that was one of the difference makers, and that was I mean a large part of that, um, without question, goes down to Jed. Jed created yeah. that character. Jed. Um, um, it picked me and and um, and decided it was it was it was me and there was some collaboration but not a huge amount. I mean the complexities of that character was wow. um, was uh, in, in by far the biggest influence on that character wasn't me playing it; it was Jed writing it and um, and and making it complicated and constantly pushing to um to increase the complexities not to make it easier on the audience or or keep in place and i and my job to a greater or lesser extent was to navigate the twists and turns that jed had created it was um i loved it i had such a you know um a, fan, a fantastic time on it with you know Neil Morrissey and Craig Parkinson and Vicky McClaw and Martin Compton and A.D. Dunbar. I mean, we were at that point, we were all shooting in Birmingham. We yeah. kind of stayed together. We were a little clan. We hung out together, went to concerts together, ate most evenings together, oh had a, a wailing wild time. We just we, it was just it was so lovely. And, 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 and they have become friends for life every time I'm home. One of the gatherings that I have is with um, Jed and Martin and Vicky and Neil and Craig or whoever can be in town and is in town. We always kind of get together. It was it was a you know, it was a lovely lovely job, and it's the one time we you know in that sense of not you know I, I said earlier of not having any expectation of if I do this you know something else will happen. When they came back to do the second series of line of duty um i i was absolutely gutted that yeah. i could be, that i couldn't be a part of it that everybody was going back all of the ones i'd named neil was back and craig was back and vicky and martin and ad were back and i wasn't i was um genuinely um heartbroken that i couldn't continue being a part of it but the only way i could be a part of the first one was if if because uh, um, I was under contract to HBO at that point, and they wouldn't have let me uh, out to do it unless there was a definitive end at the end of the first series. Now that was that was one of those where I remember watching it with my wife, and you saw you're going out like because historically your character would have done all the right things, or he'd have he'd have he'd have he might have been a maverick, but if he'd have sorted things out in the end. But it's sort of thing where you're shouting at the television, "No, Tony, no, please, no!" You know, yeah. was it was it one of those where when you're reading the script, you're thinking, "Oh, yes, please." Yeah, absolutely, and 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 also it was 
like I said, my job was to um, create the, you know, to translate the dilemma that Tony was in. That um, he was a, for me, uh, other people can read him in whatever way they read him, but for me, he was an extensively good guy who um, found himself on a road where he was constantly um, having to make choices between a bad choice and a worse choice in order to make up for the bad choice and worse choice that he had made before. He was constantly, <laughs> yes, um, yeah. constantly trying to get ahead of it and go, if I do this, everything will be all right. And he was constantly trying to make everything all right. He was constantly trying to look, you know, he was a very loyal guy. Yeah. He was, he loved, he loved his kids. Uh, yes, he messed about on his wife, but he loved his kids. He, um, he was a respected officer. He was a good police officer and he was, you know, and he looked after those that he cared about, but he was, a, you know, he was, he was a bit too cocky. He thought he was better than he actually was. And, um, and that was his downfall, really. He kind of flew too close to the sun and, um, and he paid the price for it, but it was, he was a lovely guy to play because he, because um, um, half of half of what you knew about Tony Gates was trying to figure out what he was thinking, and for an actor, that's just it's just an absolute gift. He, he the the ability to try and say as much um, in your silences as when you're speaking. Is 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 just is where I love to play. So he was a gift for me. I loved him, and I'll be. I'm internally grateful for Jed for throwing him my way. I mean, to take it back to to save me, and obviously the new series Save Me Too. I mean, that's that's the the, the great thing with Nelly is again hugely flawed, but that that's why we collectively love him so much because we we can relate to it. We're not perfect. We've all We've all made mistakes in our life. I mean, that's uh, you know, that's that's a testament to your writing as well, isn't it? Yeah, I've tried to. I try to. Again, it's it's. Um, I don't. I mean, I know that they will ultimately be referred to as flaws. But when I'm writing Nelly, I don't. I don't go. I'm writing the good side of him, <laughs> and then I'm writing the bad side of it. I'm trying to write all of this. All of this fellow. I'm trying to write this guy who who only exists within his understanding of the world and his emotional compass. And he can't operate outside of that. So he's grown up in a place where, you know, you could be beating the shit out of someone one day and having a drink with them the next. Yes. Um, and, and that's the, that's the rules of, that's the rules of engagement. And I, and I, and also the, you know, you can, you know, um, the world in which they exist in is a, uh, you know, a world in which, you know, kids on the, on the, you know, I don't know where you live, but, you know, uh, when, when we were back home in town and my kids were younger, we were bringing them up. We were, you know, we owned our own house and, you know, we were living a, a middle-class kind of existence. And part of that was our kids didn't go anywhere where we didn't take them, drop them off and then come back and pick them up. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and they weren't roaming the streets like we were roaming the streets as kids. You know, those summers that we talk about where we would as soon as, as soon as we got out of bed, we were out on our bikes in the park <laughs> with a football running around. And we only came back when the sun started going down. Those were that's how a vast majority of my generation, you know, in London kind of grew up. My kids didn't. My kids, my kids were taken to the um, the play group or picked up and taken to ballet or taken to this and taken to that, except on the estates. When they, we used to go down to visit my family members who lived on the estates, door open, kids out, running around, and they were gone. And, um, and I wanted to write about that. I wanted to write about that kids have a sense of freedom there. Yes, they, they could get into trouble. Yes, there are dangers around a certain age. But there was also a kind of freedom there there's also a sense that everybody comes together there you know recently arrived immigrants can start off on estates and someone like jason fleming's character who's yeah. based on a person in the real real pub is a, a, a man who has finally um come to terms with who he wants to be in the world and he can do that on the estate and everybody will kind of go oh yeah 
Tam's that geezer, but he's still Tam. He's still one of us and he's still of the world. And that's it for uh, um, an environment that more often than not, um, people write about its, um, its limitations and how it shuts out the other. When you actually get there, the, the other doesn't necessarily mean because you're black, because you're gay, because you're transgender, because you're cross-dressed, because you're female, because you're Polish. Yeah. Sometimes it just means because you're from somewhere else. I, I, I mean, what I'm about to say here is going to sound, it will sound glib, and I, and I, I apologise in advance. But obviously, what, you know, what's going on in the world right now with, you know, people can't leave the house. You know, my family, we've just taken the kids for our daily walk, and then that's it. Um, but th there is, a, there is a, people, are, people are craving um, entertainment. I'm not making light of what's going on, but... Uh, People, the, the the arrival of this show, people will, you know, if they could physically shake you by the hand and say thank you, that they would. I mean, people are going to be desperate for uh, this new series. Um, I hope so. I mean, I hope. I mean, we do have slightly a, a bit of a captive audience. I mean, I hope they they all find a way. They all find a way of of getting. It's very funny. One of my mates was joking because um, when Save Me the first series went out. It was the beast from the east. It was the big four <laughs> of 2018. And the day, the day that it went out was um, February the 27th. And there was a massive snowstorm and it was a snow day and nobody went, nobody went out to work and everybody was at home. And they dropped six episodes of, uh, of Save Me. Yeah. And, um, and we got amazing viewing figures. <laughs> and... Um, and when we started in this lockdown, one of my mates phoned me up and went, have you done this, Len? Have, have, you, have you done this? Have you, have you orchestrated it so everybody's locked inside so that, so that your program gets decent figures? It's either me or God, but someone's had a go. I was going to say, I, I love the fact that you know, a man who's regarded as one of the, the nicest people in entertainment is secretly a Bond villain. <laughs> I am. I have this power. I have a bunker. And in this bunker, which obviously is in Austin, Texas at the moment, I am controlling. I have sent out a virus that is going to keep everybody at home so they can watch my television program. And I'm literally twiddling my moustache as I say that. I'm, I'm already terrified for season three and what, what you've got in store there. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know what, what I'll do to keep people indoors then. <laughs> uh, Lenny, on, a, on a, a personal level, I just cannot thank you enough for, for everything down the years. Just, uh, you know, what, what a body of work. And, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. But also, uh, huge congratulations. Just, you know, everything that you've, not only not everything that you've achieved, but everything that you continue achieve, to, to continue to achieve is uh, incredible. So just a, a huge well done, Lenny. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And I'm... Uh... I hope people enjoy the second series of Save Me. We're immensely proud of what we got up to um, in South East London um, last year, and I hope everybody enjoys it. So, I mean, are, are, you, are, you, are you able to film now at the moment, then? Uh, no, we're not. And, uh, there's no filming going on anywhere, really. Um, certainly no. not here. Virtually, virtually everything's shut down. But... I'm based in LA, but my house in LA is having some work done on it and we can't stay in the house while it's there. So I've just stayed in Austin. Uh, I've been here for uh, the last year, basically. So even when I was back in London last year shooting Save Me, my um, American base was here in Austin. Okay, I was about to live vicariously through you and ask you what freedom uh, felt like. What freedom felt like? <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, I get the impression uh, just from chatting with friends that a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people, like genuinely, people are they're, they're struggling with it, aren't they? I know it's I know it's technically only the second week, but um, you know, it, it's not easy for people, is it? It's not. No, it's it's. Um... It, it, it's a weird one and it's been a weird one out here. I mean, I think um, I can't uh, kind of emphasize enough just how important the um, kind of response to this at government level, um, how much that dictates 
um, the impact on the on the wider communities, whether that be statewide, citywide, or countrywide. And um, and at the moment, those places that have done the most testing have found the most cases and have been able to um, address this in the best way. The thing that's most scary uh, out here in America is how little testing has been done. And, um, and it means that for a long time, um, uh, states and cities were operating and living in ignorance. And that's been very dangerous. Um, and how that will be addressed and, um, and how and who is taking uh, responsibility for, uh, for passing out informed information um, and correct information and helpfully, helpful information. It's been a bit piecemeal out here and, um, and thank goodness there are enough people um, speaking truth out loud um, and people hearing it, but it hasn't all, you know, hasn't always happened at the at, in in the most timely way. Let me say. I mean, even by that guy's low standards, some of the stuff that's come out of his mouth is astonishing, isn't it? It's staggeringly, uh, particularly this whole notion of, you know, uh, I, I don't know about you. I listen to the news a lot. I, yeah. It's the first thing I put on in the morning. It is kind of there. That is not true of most of America. And a lot of America have been, their notion of picking up the, the news had been, you know, tuning into uh, the press conferences that are being held in the, in the White House. It's become a new, it's become his new tweets, really, to a greater or lesser extent. And just to say that um, he wants America open for business and he wants the churches filled on Easter Sunday is so deeply irresponsible and dangerously irresponsible when some people are just kind of going, it's, it's, it can't be, he knows who's listening to him. He knows the influence that his, his, um, his voice has, his opinions have on a certain section of this country and to, irresponsibly encourage them to break um, social distancing rules and go to church on Easter Sunday because that's what he wants to see is putting people's lives at risk and it is so it is so incredibly irresponsible sometimes I just can't catch my breath with the man I mean I mean, when he was tweeting the other day about the viewing figures you're like what yeah. is wrong with you you know yeah I mean it's 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 one of those where the minute you get started on it um, <laughs> yes. you could quite easily go down the hole so I've had to ration myself but the po the point where I would kind of draw the line and it's completely outside of you know political leanings I'm just talking about responsibility and being responsible responsible for the whole you are like the, the the mayors in and the governors in certain cities and states are showing you're responsible for all you yeah. are the the voice of the, um, the the people that uh, elected you and the people who didn't, and that's what it, it that's what it means to be, um, you know, to to um, uh, to uh, um, live properly in that high office, and um, to pe tell people that um, you know uh, to talk to to stand in front of people when people are dying at the rate that they're dying and it's only going to get worse before it gets better to talk to them about your viewing figures rather oh. than how, how they're going to, how they're going to get respirators and, um, and medication is, is the height of irresponsibility. It is. Um, Lenny, I, I, I can't thank you enough. So just a huge thanks for everything and, uh, and, and, and bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And if you see Kerry before me, Although I think I've got a um, a Zoom meeting with the whole cast tomorrow, but if you speak to her before I do, please send her my love and give her a big socially distant hug for me, please. I, I, I'm going to WhatsApp her immediately. I promise. 
Thank you very much. Tell her I love her and I miss her and I'll see her soon. Bless you, sir. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you, Lenny. Tell you what, talk about an interview. Jeez Louise. Uh, that was a man who attacked his interview with the same tenacity he attacked. He attacked every role, every assignment. What I mean, we are lucky on this podcast because people turn up to do a proper interview, don't they? You know, no one phones it in. All right. <laughs> that was done over Skype. So <laughs> that was an unfortunate turn of phrase. Uh, but it's true. Uh, and, and and Lenny James really, uh, really went for it. That was wonderful. And then, the, you know, the little bonus at the end regarding the person who is in charge in America. I will not even say his name. Um... But yeah, I, I thought that was a, a, a special episode. Um, it, that meant a great deal. You can, you can probably tell. So my voice wavered a couple of times in that one. I, I love that man. Um, you would be now. You would be doing as a solid if you shared this episode. We would appreciate it very much. Tweet, Facebook, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, we are across the socials at Balance LDN. Spread the word, tell your friends I'm at J... Not, don't tell your friends about me, but about the Balance podcast. Full stop, new sentence. I am uh, at James Gill uh, Comedy. As I've said before in recent episodes, if you would like to work with Balance, if you are a like-minded brand, maybe it's creative solutions, maybe it's advertising, maybe it's me doing a, an advert for you on this podcast, whatever it might be, you might have a great idea. Uh, drop the sales team a line, sales at balance.media, sales at balance.media. Your support is always, uh, we're, we're always incredibly grateful for it. And uh, I sincerely thank you. If you want to drop me a line, I am podcast at balance.media. My email, I'll be honest with you, my email etiquette as I juggle the podcast with uh, being a home teacher, <laughs> um, people who email me, if you, if you thought I was slow in getting back before, then yikes. Um, yeah, check me out right now. But I'll try my best. Podcast at balance.media. Um, Save Me is out now. It's a very special show. It's on Sky. It's on Now TV. Uh, it's available to watch now. If, you, if you've never watched it before, then I am doing you. Uh, I'm doing you. I'm providing a good service by recommending the first series of Save Me and then the sequel Save Me Two. Um, in the show, Lenny is trying to track down his daughter. I will say no more than that. It, there are twists. There are turns. Uh, it's beautifully written. The characters are fantastic. Stephen Graham in a supporting role. People like Kerry Godleyman, Jason Fleming, Saran Jones. I mean, you know, Saran Jones. I mean, you know, this is this is one of the great casts uh, and one of my absolute favourite TV shows. I I love this show. Um, I I, I thought I watched the other night, Uncut Gems, with Adam Sandler, and it's it's got that similar relentless nerve shredding vibe and. Uh, Given a lot of us are, you know, we, there are there are feelings of, of being cooped up. Then a show like this is is pure escapism. Um, so as I say, available now. Save Me Two is the sequel to Save Me, and Two is spelt T O O. Uh, and what an honour to have Lenny James on the uh, on the show. Could not thank you enough. Uh, thank you as always. Take care. Uh, I love all of you. My thoughts are with you. I hope you're okay. Um, oh my god! <laughs> um, I wonder what you're what you're getting into to pass the time. I I'm getting into. Oh my god! My my daughter has grown a bean plant. It's got out of hand. It's nearly. It's coming up to two feet tall. So uh, call it gardening. Barely, but I'm trying my best. Um, take care. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.